Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The text that, that uh, you've seen on the screen is taken from Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. And I would recommend that everyone use this time for just a moment and turn to that text because we're going to be using that as an illustration of the subject matter that I would like to discuss with you this morning. Now the text basically that we read has to do with a king who had a territory, and in this territory he had a group of servants, and from these servants he decided he would take an accounting of all that he had, and one servant in particular owed him a great deal of money that he was unable to pay. So the, the uh, master or the lord of that area called upon him to reckon, and he couldn't pay, and so the man fell down before his lord, and he said, have mercy upon me, uh, give me time, have patience, and I will repay. But instead of requiring him to repay, the, the master, frankly, forgave him of the entire debt. After that, after a while, apparently, this same master who owed, the same servant, I mean, who owed uh, 10,000 talents, which was an extremely large amount of money, uh, had another fellow servant who owed him a hundred pence, and that man did the same thing as he did. He fell down before his fellow servant, the man that he owed the money to, and he said, have mercy upon me, Give, be patient, and I will repay. And he said, no, I'm not going to. And so he, was, he, he told him to be, that he was going to demand that he be sent into a debtor's prison and repay him all that he owed. The other servants heard about it. They went back to their Lord. They knew what had taken place. They went back to their Lord and said, look what this man did. And when the, when the Lord heard about it, the master heard about it, he then took the man that he had forgiven the money to, the debt to, and he cast him into prison, debtor's prison, and he said he'd pay it, pay every cent back. Now, 
Sometimes we lose the impact of a story like this because we're so far removed from that, that environment. It's difficult for us to understand exactly what was going on, although everyone in the day of Jesus knew it because they lived in those types of environments. What we, what we look at when we look at this is, is a situation that seems to us to be fairly straightforward, and yet at the same time it has some, it has some problems involved in it. So let's see if we can sort of unravel some of these things and, and understand basically what was going on and what took place. This text says that a certain king was going to call his servants to reckon. Now, this king ruled a territory that were under his supervision and his authority. Now, that meant simply this, that that man owned that land and he owned all the, all the resources that were entailed in that land. The people who lived there lived at his behest and at his favor. So they lived there under his authority. They lived, they lived there because they were living on his land. They could certainly build houses, but the houses were still on his land and still pertained to him. So everything on that property belonged to this man. And that, that's hard to kind of comprehend. It was a territory. It was a domain. It was, sometimes we would call it, a, an estate. His prosperity, that is the king's prosperity, depended upon his servants whom he entrusted with all of his assets. They lived on his property. They worked for him. And they were supposed to take care of what he had on that property that was his and make profits from these, from these assets. Uh, the, uh, the idea was that, that if they raised a crop, they were raising his crop. It was his crop. They may have been something like shareholders or sharecroppers, but it was an agrarian society to, to a large extent. If they, if they had flocks in the field, they were his flocks in his fields. They were simply maintaining them and taking care of them. It could have been a number of different enterprises that they were involved in, like commodities such as cloth woven from the sheep and so forth, from the wool. It could have been any metals they had on that property or implements. It could have been anything, but everything that was on that property belonged to this man. And they were simply managing his assets and his property. Let me give you some idea, of, and I've wrestled with this for quite a while, wondering, well, well, how did this work, basically? How was this working? And I thought about a song that was, that was sung by... Uh, let's see if I, if I can think of his name. Er, Tennessee Ernie Ford. And it was called 16 Tons. You may have heard it, may have not have heard it. It was written by uh, Merle Travis in 1946. It was sung by Tennessee Ernie Ford in 1955. And the, the uh, refrain, the repeated refrain, goes something like this because it's written about a coal mining community in the... In the uh, Area of, let's see if I can remember, Multnomah County, Kentucky, where they did a lot of coal mining. 
Now the coal mining corporations owned several properties. They owned expanses of properties and they built communities near the coal mines that they owned and they owned the houses and they owned all the industry there and they owned all the uh, dry goods stores and, and all the markets and so forth. And the employees of the coal mines were paid by what was known as scrip or chips. They didn't pay them money. They paid them in kind. And, and sometimes it was called truck. That was the truck system. So that the, the coal miners, and this, this was not only in the coal industry, but in other industries in this country for a long time. But what, what they did was they swapped their labor for compensation of a nature that they could spend on that property in that corporation's stores. So they didn't have actual money that they could spend elsewhere. They had chits or scrip or what they call truck. And you've heard the expression sometimes, I'm not going to have any truck with them. Well, that was the, the business of swapping their labor for chits or scrip, money that they could spend on that property that was owned by that mining corporation. Johnny, uh, not Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash sang this also, but Tennessee Ernie Ford made it popular. But it, part of the refrain was, he said, 16, uh, I load 16 tons of coal a day, and St. Peter don't call me because I cannot go, I owe my soul to the co company store. Because they were spending their money with that particular corporation, and it, it all stayed there. So what, they, what he was singing about was coal miners' plight, not being able to break loose from that particular owner or corporation and get out on their own. Now that's basically what was going on with this king. He owned everything, and they did business with him. It was his stores, it was his produce, it was his product. Everything belonged to him, and they had to buy from him and trade with him, and they, they had to take care of his property. And the text says that he said a day of reckoning. In other words, he was, he was going to make sure that his servants reported how they had managed his property and his finances. How have you been handling what is mine? Now, they, they could have been dealing in a number of different things. They could have been sharecropping. They could have been uh, tenant farmers. They could have been dealing in tradable, tradable goods. They could have been involved in commerce, export, import. But it all belonged to him. It was his. And they were managing it. Sometimes they were called husbandmen. They took care of a vineyard. And if, if you remember in Matthew chapter 20, that there was a king who sent to his vineyard, to his servants, for them to produce the fruits of the vineyard. And they took the servants, those who were working the vineyard, took the servant and abused him. Sent him back home. Didn't didn't pay what the what the owner required of them. Then he sent another one and sent another one. They they abused some and they killed some. And it finally says he sent his son to claim the fruits of the vineyard and they killed him. Of course, that's talking about Jesus Christ. So they could have worked in anything. These people could have been working in anything. They could have been working in. Uh, in wares, they could have been working in fish, they could have been working in, in uh, corn, they could have been working in any sort of produce, sheep, cattle, whatever. 
He set a reckoning. One servant came to him. Now understand that he's, this man has been using, the servant had been using his master's money. It wasn't his money. He was using his master's money. So he, he reckoned, he, he came to the servant and he asked him to, to give an account and the man owed him 10,000 talents. Now it's difficult to find in the Greek the term 10,000 talents or 10,000. It's from the word myrios, which means myriad, which if you look up into the stars in the heaven, you say there's a myriad of stars, almost uncountable. This man had a great, a huge sum that he was responsible for, and he had a huge accountability that he needed to account to his master for. It wasn't a loan. He wasn't calling a loan. He, he, was, he was calling for him to reckon with him as to how he had spent his resources, the Lord's resources. You remember in Matthew chapter 25, there were three servants that the Lord took before he took a long journey, and each of the three servants were given one pound, the text says. Each servant was given a pound, and the master went into a far country, and then he was going to come back, and he was going to give a, get a reckoning. How have you spent my money? And the first one came along and said, Well, I, I, I took your pound, and I made ten more with it. And he said, That's great. And the next one said, I, I made five. The next one said, I didn't make anything. I just held on to it because I was afraid you'd ask me to make an accounting, and I, I, I was afraid I'd lose that. So he he uh, he was he dealt very harshly with that last man, but they they couldn't he he couldn't pay and he couldn't couldn't give a reckoning for how he had used his master's talent. So it's the same situation though. It was the Lord's money, it was the Lord's property, it was the master's property. And when he talks about servants, he he's not talking about someone that was a slave. He's talking about someone who lived on his property. Someone lived on the property. And because he lived on that property and he was sustained by that property, he was a servant. Sort of like an employee, but maybe a little bit more different than an employee. It's hard for us to understand that because we live in a society where we can, we can make a gradual increase. We can, we can spend our money the best way we can and we can kind of make progress and move up in our, in our status financially. But these, these people were responsible for their Lord's finances. And the time came for this man to pay, to make an accounting. And he said, I can't pay. I can't, I can't do it. Was he bankrupt? No. How did this man get himself so far into debt? Because he misused his master's money. A mismanagement of his funds. Poor investments? Probably embezzlement likely lack of proper attendance attention to business probably laziness maybe it was unwarranted assumptions of his lord's oversight maybe he didn't figure he'd ever be called into accounting but it wasn't his money that he was spending and went into debt for he indebted his master it was his master's uh, property he pleaded for leniency. He fell down. It says the text says he fell down and worshipped him. Have patience with me and I will pay. 
which was an impractical request. This man could have never paid it back. How would he pay it back? He still had to use his master's money and resources if he's going to pay anything back. And it would be like the master paying himself back. Right? He had no resources of his own. He had no property of his own. He had, he had no services. All, all he could do was work for his master and use his master's resources. So he's saying, I, I'll, if you'll just let me go long enough, I'll use your money and repay you. Well, that, of course, wouldn't work. So the master said, well, I'm going to sell him. I'm going to sell the man. Now, that's called indenture. He was going to indenture him. Now, that didn't mean he was going to put him into slavery and in involuntary servitude. It meant that he was going to indenture him. He was going to get some money out of this man, and the man would have to be sold to someone else for a certain length of time so that his labor would eventually pay back the debt. And then, he would, of course, he'd be free. He said, he said, uh, he, he said I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sell him. I'll sell him, I'll sell his wife, I'll sell his children, and I'll sell all of his personal property. Whatever he has, clothes on his back, he's going to sell everything he had. He was going to indenture him. Did you know that 50 to 75% of the pilgrims that came to America came indentured? They borrowed the money, they indentured themselves, they committed themselves to servitude when they got to the shores of the United States of America at that time to the ship's captains or to the ship's masters so that that's how they paid their passage to come to the new world. They were indentured. They weren't slaves. They were just indentured. So they had to work work it off. Was it maybe five years, ten years, fifteen years? Whatever it was. Now you can see how this this could easily turn into slavery, involuntary servitude, but basically it was a a matter of being indentured. But the Lord moved with compassion. You know, he had to think of several things. This man had to think, well, how's this guy going to pay me back? With my money. He's got to be thinking that. On my property, with my goods, he's going to pay me back. Wow. Wow. It says he moved with he was moved with compassion. He didn't suggest that I'll give you a new loan. I'll give you a lower mortgage rate. I'll give you more reasonable terms. I'll give you a better repayment rate. This was this guy's money. It belonged to him. How was he going to get his money back from this man? The only way he had to get his money back was to indenture him. Him, his wife, his children, his house, everything. He's going to, sell, going to sell it to get his money back. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't restructure the terms of employment and, and raise his wages. What he did was, he forgave the debt. You know what that word forgive means? It means loose it away. It's gone. It's gone. And what we have to understand in this context is... There was no expectation of repayment. He did not expect him, and he did not expect him to do anything in order to secure it. He didn't say, okay, if you will promise that you're going to work harder, I'll forgive the debt. If you promise, no, he didn't do that. 
He just frankly forgave the whole debt. And he said, you can start all over again debt free. 10,000 talents. Amount, amount so much that it was hard to, hard to calculate it. The same servant later went to a fellow who owed him a hundred pence, not 10,000 talents, but a hundred pence, a small minuscule amount. He took him by the throat and he said, pay me. He was harsh. He was unmerciful. He decided he wanted his money back and he wanted his money back now. And the man said, he fell down and worshipped him and he said, have patience with me and I will repay. But he didn't. He cast him into debtor's prison. Now the first man, the master, was not going to cast this fellow into debtor's prison. He was going to sell him. But here it says he cast him into debtor's prison. The debtor's prison was standard operating procedure in ancient Greece and Asia. They just went to jail. They went to a prison. And there they were sub subjected to harsh, harsh labor. And they were supposed to be able to work off their debt. You've heard it time and time again in, in regard to people that we put in prison in the United States. When they get out, someone says they paid their debt to society. Well, that, it came from this idea of, it, of debtor's prison. They really haven't paid a debt to anybody. <laughs> when you put someone in prison and they stay there 10 or 20 years, they didn't pay any debt to society. They didn't owe society a debt. They, they were there because they committed a crime. We don't put them into debtor's prison. And they don't make enough money to repay anybody. So the idea is that, that we, just, we just kept that concept and kept it going and thought, well, okay, they paid a debt to society. Well, we can use that term if we want to. But debtor's prison goes a long ways back. And in 1144, in Southwark, England, there was a debtor's prison built. 1144. And as a matter of fact, it was outlawed in 1833. They shut the doors. But as a matter of fact, you can still visit that debtor's prison if you go to Southwark, England. You can see it. In the United States, it was outlawed. And so we don't have a debtor's prison here anymore. But that debtor's prison was called the clink. The clink. Have you ever heard someone refer to jail as the clink? Well, that's what they're talking about. We usually call it the slammer or the hoof gal or the lockup or the, the cooler or the can or the tin, something. We use terms like that. But that was there was a debtor's prison. So what this man did, who had 10,000 talents forgiven him, he took the fellow by the throat and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in debtor's prison. I'll get my money back from you somehow. So we put him in, in prison. The fellow servants became aware of it. And you know what? They knew. They knew that the master had forgiven this guy 10,000 times. They knew that. I don't know how they felt about it. But they didn't like what they saw in him. So they went back and reported to their, to their master and said, look, look what this guy did. You forgave him 10,000 talents. And here this fellow owed him a 
pecuniary amount of money, and he grabbed him by the throat and he put him in debtor's prison. So they reported him. Cold-hearted man. And the master came to him and said, Wicked servant, I forgave you because you desired it. You wanted it. You should have had the same compassion on your fellow servant. When Jesus sent his apostles in to preach the gospel, initially in Matthew chapter 10, he told them, because they were going to do good things, he said, freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Because he said, you got it free, you give it free. Here this man didn't do that. And so his master, and this brings up a problem in my mind. This man had been forgiven that debt. He had been forgiven the 10,000 pounds. How could the master come back? The master did not come back and tell him, I'm going to make you repay. The master came back and said he delivered him to the tormentors. Delivered him to the tormentors. Put him in the clink. He did not have to justify his actions because he owned the property and he owned everything that this man was fooling with. He could do as he pleased without justification. He could just take him. He didn't tell the man when he forgave that debt. He didn't say, everybody that owes you, you're going to have to forgive their debt. He didn't tell him that. There was no expectation and there was no requirements made when he forgave him. But when he saw what this man did, he rescinded the agreement and he delivered him to the authorities, to the tormentors. He didn't sell off his property. He didn't sell his wife and his children. He just sent this guy to jail. That's what he did, send him to the tormentors. He didn't try to get his property back, sent him to the tormentors. No mercy, no compassion, no feeling for the plight of others. And what happens? He had to pay for it. Did you see any, yourself anywhere in this story? <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole thing started out this way. Jesus had been talking to his disciples about forgiveness. And he talked about the, the fellow who, who uh, had ought against his brother or sister. And he was supposed to go to them and take two or three witnesses. And then if they wouldn't hear the witnesses, to take it to the church. And if they wouldn't hear the church, be, be like a publican and a heathen to them. So get away from them. And then, he, then Peter asked the question, he said, hey, Wait a minute, how often am I supposed to forgive someone that's done something against me? Uh, seven, seven times, and Jesus said 70 times Seven. So that's how it all started out. All started out that way. And he's talking about forgiveness here. And he talked about forgiving a debt because the man asked for it. He said, I, I can't pay. And he had compassion on him and forgave him. Yet he turned around and he required something of his fellow servant that was unreasonable. So where do we find ourselves in this story? First of all, we live on God's green earth. You know where we're living? We're, we're on His property. Believe it or not. I, I'm standing right now on the property that belongs to God. Now I could go home and I could go in my door and I could get on my property and say, this is mine. 
This is my house. I built it with my own hands. I paid for it with my own money. And yet at the same time, I have to understand I'm standing on God's property. I'm on His property. And He gave me what I have. And He's going to say, Bill, I'm going to ask you to, to give an account for that one of these days. I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you to come up and pay up. Now, Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 28. And I'll just read the first few verses. He said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord. He's like this guy, this master, that came to his service and said, I'm, I'm going to, I want you to give me an account of how you've used my resources, what I've given you. I want you to give me an account. We owe God, we owe our Father, because we're living on His earth. And I think about this all the time. And I think about the people that say, hey, we're going to go to the moon. We're going to take a trip up the moon and we're going to get some stuff up there and make ourselves rich from the moon. That belongs to God. That's God's moon. This is God's earth. Everything we have is His. He's the Lord. And he, he, he's, he's going to tell us that one of these days He's going to say, Bill... Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I want an account. <laughs> I want you to tell me how you've used what I gave you. Time to give an accounting. How are we doing? The, the, the real problem came before Jesus came to this earth. God sent Jesus to give an accounting, to take an accounting. Did you know that? When the Jews were expecting Jesus to come to this earth, and all the text in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, were talking about a judgment that was coming. A kingdom that was coming. The king was going to come and reestablish his rights and call for an accounting. The leaders of Israel felt like they were in pretty good shape. That they were, they were doing everything right. You remember the Pharisee and the publican? The Pharisee said, Oh Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. I fast three times in the week. I pray. I give tithes of everything I have. I'm okay. So when you come to ask me for things, you're going to find a pretty good fellow. I'll give you a good account. But this publican, he doesn't have anything to pay. He can't pay you. And you know what the publican did? He fell on his face and said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Okay. So when Jesus came to this earth... They were expecting, the Jews were expecting at that time, and I want to remind you, they're still expecting the same thing. They're expecting that God is going to come and make an accounting. They're going to be okay, and we're not. Everyone that's not a Jew is not going to be okay. And there's some religious organizations, others, that have done the same thing and feel the same way. They feel the same way. That when God, when Jesus returns to this earth, He came one time for an accounting. They think He's going to come again and call us all in for an accounting. But Jesus came in order to account, to give, for people to give an account to God. He came for judgment. Just like this master came to his servant and said, Okay, it's time for you to tally up. Let's see what you owe. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, it's quoted from Isaiah 42. It says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He shall show judgment. That's the accounting. He shall show judgment to the Gentiles. 
He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he has sent forth judgment unto victory, and his name shall the Gentiles trust. What's going to happen? He's going to set judgment, and he's going to call for an accounting. Pay up. Time to pay up. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto his Son. Now don't think in terms of the final judgment. Think in terms of when Jesus got here. He came for judgment. He came for the Father sent him for us to give an accounting. And it's called in Galatians 4 verse 4, the fullness of times. It was time to give an account. It says, when the fullness of times was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem, that's to pay up, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, in the fullness of times, Jesus came. Why? For an accounting. Okay. John 9 verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I am come into the world. In John 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus said, Now is the judgment. He was doing what this king did in his territory. The king said, It's time for everybody to figure out how much you owe me, what you've done with what I've had. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, it says, For the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what should there be the end of them that obeyed not the gospel of God? When God sent Jesus to the earth, he, he said, it's time to give an accounting. We throw ourselves at His feet and we plead, Lord, be patient with us. We'll pay it back. We'll pay it back. Lord, please uh, take into account that, I, that I, I'm sorry, I'm, I know... I've misused everything you've given me. I've not been doing with your goods what I should be. But I don't have it. I'm bankrupt. Give me time. And so well, the Lord's going to say, well, okay. You want some more of what I've got so you can spend it too? What do you want? How, how are you going to repay me? How am I going to repay God? We're bankrupt. We wasted his goods. I'm not talking about wasting the green earth. I'm not talking about abusing the environment. I'm talking about how we have behaved ourselves before God and with our fellow man. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about whether or not you you recycled your plastics last week. I'm talking about whether or not you have been, been behaving yourself properly toward your fellow man and toward God. That's what he's going to... He's going to call for that accounting. How are you accounting? The Jews said... The leaders of the Jewish nation said, hey, we've been doing well. We're good. As a matter of fact, we're, we're prospering. We're prospering. So when the king comes, we'll be sitting on his right hand and on his left, and we'll be ruling all, all you guys that owe all this money and all this time and talent. When you owe everything, God will make sure that you pay it. But we're okay. No, you aren't okay. Nobody's okay. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We've all wasted his goods. We've wasted his time. We've wasted whatever he's given us. We're bankrupt. We've embezzled his property. We've misused his goodness. We've ignored his standards. We've imposed on his goodness, on his patience. And yet, 
God had compassion on us. When Jesus came, he could have demanded payment. But you know what he said? He said, I forgive your debt. I forgive you. How did he do that? Because he made the son pay the price. His son went to the cross to pay the price. And it's called a gift. Here's another big word that we sometimes have so far above our heads that we, we really can't understand it. Or we don't understand it. It's kind of like it's a religious word. But it's the word grace. You know what the word grace is? It means favor. He just likes you. He likes you. That's favor. Kids sometimes, siblings get into squabbles at home. And they say, Mom likes you better than she does me. Dad favors you over me. Now we understand what the word favor means. We're his favorite. That's what the word favor means. The gift God gave was called grace. His favor. He looked at us and he says, Hey, I like you. And I'm not going to hold you. I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to make you pay your debt. I'm going to forgive it all. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can't work it off. Like this fellow said, Have patience with me and I'll repay. Well, we could say the same thing and it would be just as nonsensical for us to say it. Have patience and I'll repay. How am I going to repay? I don't have it. I'm using your stuff now. I've been using it all my life. Now how am I going to repay? I don't have anything. Everything I have, you gave me. And you want, I want to repay you somehow? How am I going to do that? Romans 5.15 says, Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace. Why did He give us a gift? Because we are His favorite. He favored us. He just favored us. He said it's by one man Jesus Christ has abound, uh, abounded unto many. There's a special feeling that comes over us when we think that somebody important in our lives likes us or favors us. Just out of the blue, favors us. I want to tell a little story. I don't want to embarrass my wife, but it's something that happened to her and her mother and her two sisters. And I'm not sure. She may have had our daughter with us at the time, our oldest daughter. But we're from a little town in Texas, a little cow town in Texas. And these four women decided they would go for a tour. They were back there by themselves and, and go through some of the old country that they'd been in and take mom back, Bonnie's mother, take her back to an area that she'd grown up in. So they went to Sunray, Texas. You probably won't even find that on most maps. Sunray, Texas. A restaurant, a grocery store, a filling station. And they went in for a breakfast, the four ladies. And they were having a good time eating a big breakfast. And when they got ready to pay, the, the uh, clerk said, uh, no, you don't owe anything. Because there was a man here a while ago eating, and when he left, he paid for your breakfast. And they said, why? He said, he just liked what he saw. So he saw these four women having a nice time, family, mothers, daughters, enjoying themselves, and he just paid for their breakfast. A gift. He favored them because he liked them. 
Now, when we think about things like that, surely we can think about the favor of God. Grace is God's favor. He looks at us and He likes me. He likes me and He gave me a gift. What gift was that? Because I'm His favorite, He favored me with a gift and that gift was He canceled my debt. He redeemed me. He said, Bill, you don't owe a thing. Your debt, your debt is free. Don't worry about it. It's, it's all taken care of. And Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 tells us about this. This is where we pick up our gift. You know, if you want the gift, you, you've got to go where, he, where he's giving it. And if you want the gift, you go to the cross because that's where he left your gift. He said, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall not prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So when Jesus died on the cross, God stamped my bill, paid in full. Paid in full. Now when you go somewhere and pay off something, what you want to be sure is to get your receipt. And when you get the receipt, have them stamp on it, paid in full, and sign it. Then that debt is no longer owed. They can't come back legally and get that. And that's what God did when He sent Jesus to the cross. He said, here's your bill, and I'm stamping it paid in full. Why? Why? Because He likes me. God likes me. He favored me. He likes you. That's why He paid your bill. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are raised by Him from the dead by the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, to walk in newness of life. So once we believe that Jesus is the Christ, once we come to Him in faith, and we're baptized into Him, into His death, and we rise again, God stamps our bill paid in full. Why? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He likes us. But what about that gift? You remember this, this fellow, this Lord... He gave, he gave the, the uh, servant who owed him 50,000 or 10,000 talents, he, he gave him a uh, gift. He said, you don't owe anything. But then the man did something. The man did something. And the master came back and said, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. He didn't ask for money back. He threw him into prison. Delivered him to the tormentors. Well, okay. The wicked servant forfeited his gift. Why? Because the gift or the grace that this man, the favor that this man gave to his servant, did not pass through him to the next person. It did not go through him. It stopped right there. 
So God forgives us or gives us grace. And what do we do? He forgives us. So we stop it right there and say, thanks, Lord. We've got it. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how sometimes because we want to use the resources of this earth, that we'll put up a dam on a mighty river and we'll stop the flow of that river, like on the Colorado River, the Boulder Dam. We'll stop that river up and eventually that water will filter down and finally end up in a trickle into Mexico is where it goes through Yuma, Arizona, right into Mexico. And it's just a trickle. Why? Because we dammed it up and we used it up back here. And behind that dam, the water just flowed way out and it covers thousands of thousands of feet of land. We dammed that up. So when God forgives us, we just dam that up. Thanks, Lord. We enjoy this. We've been forgiven. But we don't let it pass through us, do we? We don't look at our fellow servant and say, hey, maybe I ought to have some mercy on you too. That's what happened to this guy. And that's what happened when he said, okay, I'm going to call you into account. One of the problems in in the religious communities is that there are some people teaching that once you're saved, you're always saved. Once God forgives you, Don't worry, you can do anything you want to and you can't be lost. So, what they're saying is that this guy here was wrong in calling his servant into accounting. Right? How could this Lord call into into accounting and say, look, you messed up, I'm 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 going to put you in prison. Okay, that's what God's going to do to us. He said, okay, Bill, I forgive you, but you better behave. Paul said it this way. He said, he said, I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, lest by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he said, even though I teach everybody else, just like today, I'm preaching forgiveness. And what if I don't forgive? God's forgiven me. And what if I don't forgive you if you do something honorary and mean? What if you owe me something? And I'm not willing to forgive it. What if you beg for mercy? And I'll say, no, I'm going to throw you into debtor's prison. I'm going to put you in the clink. In my personal clink. What if I do that? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 says, If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sin. So can God hold us responsible? Even though He forgave our debt, can He come back and say, You have not behaved like you should have behaved. You didn't forgive anybody else, Bill, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to the clink. In 2 Peter 2, verse 20, says, If after they have received or have escaped the corruption of this world, they're again entangled therein, the latter end is worse, worse for them than the first. So it even talks about the hog returning to its wallow in the mire. Well, I found myself in this story. That's what I did. I found myself. I said, okay, the master is God. And I'm, I'm in his territory. I'm, 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 I'm on his land. I'm, I'm using his goods. I'm doing everything he gave me. And 
I, I got so far behind, I, I couldn't get out of debt, and there's no way I could get out of debt. I had no, no resources. I bankrupt morally, spiritually. I'm gone. Lord, have mercy on me. And He did. He forgave my sins. He said, believe and confess the name. Confess His name. Believe in my heart that He's risen from the dead. Confess His name. Be baptized for remission of my sins. Rise and do what? Do like I did. <laughs> do exactly what I did. Live like I ask you to live. And let, let my mercy and my goodness pass through you. Don't damn it up. Let it pass through you. God help you do that.